Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I'm James Norrington um, and uh, I'm here, but I'm still joined with Phil Oakley. How you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm good, James. You, you too? Yeah, no, I'm well, I'm well, but um, the UK economy uh, is is not so well. Um, Chancellor Rishi Sunak talking of, uh, of an economic emergency, uh, uh, 11.3% contraction predicted for the whole of 2020, which would be the worst in 300 years. And not, not quite sure how you compare our economy now with 300 years ago, but um, there you go. 394 billion of government, government borrowing projected this year. Um, and by Q2 2021, it could get even uglier with um, the unemployment stats. Some predictions saying unemployment figures could be as high as 75 five percent um so it's not a very strong backdrop no it's it's horrible um and you know there are people out there economists out there who think that um the figures that the the chancellor has been throwing about this week might might uh, might be even worse but um i think i think this should leave people under no illusions you know how how fragile the UK economy is. If we, if you look, if you look at the hit to, to GDP, or the forecast hit to GDP, which is going to be just over eleven percent, as you just mentioned, I think only Spain in Europe is forecast to have a have a worse hit of about twelve percent. Uh, Germany is about five and a half percent. France about nine percent. Um, no, you know, no one's getting away from this apart from the Chinese, which is still their economy is actually uh, its economy. Sorry, is is um, forecast to grow, albeit only very slightly. But I think the real shock is is the amount of amount of government borrowing, and we we as a country are way off the scale in terms of the size of the size of the budget deficit, and I think. It's not just it's not just the sort of three hundred and ninety four billion that I I thought that you know obviously that's the shocking headline figure. It's it's the fact that um, you know they're talking about one hundred and sixty five billion next year and then a hundred billion a year for the three years afterwards. So you know in the next four and four five in, so over a total of about four or five years, you're looking at adding eight hundred and fifty billion pounds to the national debt and i think it's fair to say that you know if this country couldn't print its own money um it would be in a very very dark place now well that's um there's some economists out there um more referring to the us rather than the uk so it doesn't really matter anymore we've got a modern monetary theory uh where, where central banks will just print money to hoover up as much debt as the as the government wants to issue they can spend it on infrastructure and and this this wonderful fiscal support will return us all to growth and everything will be rosy i mean uh, what do you think about that outlook at this moment in time you can you, you can be forgiven for thinking it's true because because you have you have governments borrowing huge amounts of money all over the world and the the interest rate that they can borrow at is is still still very very low, uh, and in some cases negative. And I think, you know, you're just coming back to the UK. You know, the UK the the interest rate on ten year bonds uh, in the UK is zero point four percent, and 
you know, it's very interesting how how views on on government financing have, have changed over the last 20, 30 years. And, you know, um, you know, Bill, Bill Clinton in America, you know, one of his key aims was to actually pay down the debt because, you know, the, the, there was a, there was an advisor to him who, who believed that the bond market could intimidate anybody. And that you had that you had these terms like bond market vigilantes that would always keep governments honest in terms of what they spend, and if if spending got out of control and deficits got out of control, interest rates would rise, and the pain that that would inflict would be the kick at the backside that governments needed to get the house in order, and we and we just don't have that now because. Um, the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve can just create money out of nothing to finance finance government borrowing. I think, for me, where where modern monetary theory comes unstuck is that you know it it sort of seems to think that it's a free lunch and that um, doesn't really take into con- consideration what you do to the currency that you're printing. You know what? What do you actually do to the buying power of that currency? Because central banks, central banks can create as 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 much money as they want. What is more difficult is that it's very difficult for them to control the value of the money that they print and and the exchange rate with other currencies. And I think I think the big fear or the big worry that people should have is that if if this carries on then the the confidence in in the pound is is very very fragile um and the confidence in the in the ability of the government to actually get this back on track is 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 going to be very fragile because the the government now finds itself in a very difficult position in that you can take the view that you can just print and keep your fingers crossed and hope that modern monetary theory is correct. Or you try and do something about it and you raise taxes to try and bring more money into the government coffers. And you you hit household disposable income when when actually you need to you, you need housing household disposable income to increase. And so this is this is the kind of horrible situation um, that the government is in. So the UK is slightly, um, as you say, real fragility of the pound um, and confidence confidence in, in the UK. Largely, um, you know, we've got our own idiosyncratic risks, Brexit negotiations rumbling on. Um, in terms of the UK stock market, it's um, you know, that that lack of confidence. It's sort of it's reflected in a, in a lack of quality of UK companies, um, particularly UK companies with exposure to the UK economy. Um, and just if we we look at you know some of the some of the companies you've written about this week, um, for example, you've you've finally sold uh, Sage out of your UK quality shares portfolio, and you prefer Intuit abroad. Um, you talk a bit more about more about sort of that that company and uh, and you know as as an sort of example of a of a, of a UK company um, that, that you know the, the sort of best in a in a weak pool if you like, but but internationally doesn't look so so good. I think I think Sage. I, I think a lot of people have 
slipped up on stage on stage, uh, including myself. Um, I mean, I wrote I wrote about this in February, and I did an analysis in the in the Investors Chronicle, and I was pretty lukewarm about it. And if you if you just look at things, you know, if you if you look if you're like a sort of numbers investor, and you know, a lot of sort of you know investors like high, you know, if you're a quality investor or you know, you go for highly profitable companies, and Sage is incredibly profitable. Um, if you actually look at um, the returns it's making on its operating assets, it's you know in the hundreds of percent um, return on return on operating assets. It has high margins, but this is this is the weakness of looking at look at only looking at numbers, and. Um, I think I think the the real lesson with 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 Sage is that um, you don't really have to do that much digging around, um, and I think it's always you know to, to sorry you don't have to do too much digging around to to realise that there's a problem with with the products of this business, and Sage Sage has been very slow to to adapt to a changing world. Um, for years, it sold, you know, desktop subscriptions for accounting and payroll packages. And it had a very sticky customer base um, that stayed with it. But I always think that, you know, investors, one of the best things about it you can do as an investor is try and put yourself in the eyes of a customer and look at what's going on and you know you go you can go on the internet and you can find you know forums about products and you know you can go on to like you know bookkeepers forums and that kind of thing and you will find a lot of people talking about sage and they will not be talking about it generally in that favorable way a lot of the reason why customers have stuck with sage is because of the hassle of switching, and this is often seen as a you know a key key strength of a business. You know, if the switching costs are high, people stick with it, and that's certainly true for for some of Sage's business, and and it's the reason why its revenues and profits haven't collapsed. Um, but it's the reason why it isn't growing because you have competitors in the form of um, Intuit which has um, QuickBooks, and there's a, a New Zealand company called Zero, which are arguably selling much better products that are simpler and easier um, to use. Um, they're in the cloud um, rather than desktop. And Sage is finding it very, very hard to compete with them. And if you look at what's really going on at Sage, is you know sage talks a lot about you know recurring revenue about subscription revenue and migrating revenue from desktop to the cloud and it goes on about recurring revenue growth a lot that's not the same as actual revenue growth because all all that's happening is you they've been shifting customers from desktop to subscription to cloud what they haven't been doing is getting a lot of new businesses and selling Sage to them because Intuit and Zero have got in before them. And 
Sage is, is just playing catch up with these two stronger and more agile competitors and it's costing it money. And I think what a lot of people were quite shocked and taken aback with, with last Friday's results is that the investment in the business that they're going to have to throw at it to try and get the top line going again is going to take a big chunk out of its profit margins. And, you know, for me, for me, I, I think that was the final straw. I, I think this business is going to find it very, very difficult to improve its competitive position. Um, I think it's been too slow and I think it's missed the bus. Um, that's not to say that it won't remain, you know, a profitable business, but without, without growth, it doesn't become a very it doesn't become a it doesn't become or stay a good investment so in in terms of the lessons learned then i mean you have this this company it's, it's hugely profitable um but then then it comes to a sort of a, an inflection point um where, where suddenly you know all of that good news is priced in anyway from a shareholder's point of view you, you predict well then and then you know you, you there's investment needed for strategy to 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 sort of to look improve its competitive position um what in terms of learnings um could 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 investors have seen sooner to sort of see um what was leading up to to the disappointment announcement on friday i think i think if they if, if they looked if they'd looked at what the competitors were doing and compared it with you know sage's re, re, um, recent experience they would they would see that sage was losing in in a big way um i think i think it's you know it's a, it's a real to me you know it's it shows a a real challenge that not not necessarily private investors but but professional uk fund managers face um if they're if they're investing in in uk shares and they're looking to buy the kind of companies that are highly profitable that can grow and can compound over years and years. Um, the kind of stuff that Terry Smith likes to buy. And I think it's very telling that Terry Smith and also the the small the smaller medium size fund that his fund management company runs called Smithson own very few UK shares. Um, Terry Smith actually owns Sage, and it'd be interesting to see whether he still owns Sage in a, in a few months' time. But um, the the problem is, is that there is just a dearth of these of these kind of companies, and it makes and it makes managing a UK portfolio very hard because a lot of the a lot of the shares that you are you have to choose from. Yes, there are some good companies. Um, and I think this is where the private investor has, a, has an advantage because it's very difficult for a professional fund manager to, to own a portfolio of, say, eight, nine shares or five or six shares um, because they'll have somebody tapping on their shoulder and saying, you're taking a bit too much risk here and uh, we don't want to lose customers. And, and of course, even, even with 20, 25, 30 shares, it's very hard to put together um, portfolio that 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 turns into a long-term winner there are some quite well-known fund managers that have done that 
but they're very few and far between. And I think that the difficulty that I have is that you are you are faced with a lot of companies that are very very challenged from a business point of view, or they have cyclical earnings that that move up and down with a uh, a fragile economy. It's very hard to 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 actually you know get get the balance right with a with enough companies to um to hopefully give a good result for the people who invest with you and um i mean you know we're seeing at the moment and we touched on this last week you know about the about the uh resurgence of so-called value stocks or cheap stocks or recovery stocks or whatever you want to call them um i i think that you know investors can make a lot of money short term out of this but i think but i think a lot of these companies that are going up um whilst they may be very cheap um it's essentially a ref- a largely a reflation trade of getting back to a level and then once you've reached that level where where do you go you know you you have to try and find something else otherwise you're left with a a stagnating portfolio and I, and I think it's just a, just a reminder that um, investing is very hard. But I think investing in the UK, as as evidenced by the performance of the the UK stock market over a very long period of time, is probably you know not probably it is it is incredibly difficult. So let's talk about a company that, that you've written about this week in your your alpha report, um, which which has done a few things um, that, that can can, uh, can lead to a sort of a strategic re-rating. Like it's uh, AO World, um, which I think uh, um, you you've had a good customer experience with, which uh, is one of the things that I think uh, that, that that you've sort of highlighted as a, as a good way of um, assessing the, the value of a company and how well it's doing. We've also got out of some some poorly performing markets um in in the netherlands this year um and uh, and it's also had a catalyst of, uh, of a lot of a lot more people um getting home delivery of its products so it'd be uh, good uh, just to get insight into your um your personal experience with the company and and why you like it as a business and why you think it's uh, it's done so well this year i'm really really shocked uh, how well um this company has done i mean I think just over a year ago, I actually wrote about this, and um, I, 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 again, we're going back to sort of you know trying it's trying to understand things from a customer point of view, and this is where you know retail shares, or you you can learn a lot uh, if you if you know what to look for and what questions to ask. And AOL is a is a business that's very easy to dismiss. You know, it's you know. A glorified, it's a distributor, it's a box shifter. You know, it moves washing machines and fridges in vans and doesn't make particularly high high profit margins off them. But there there is there is a there is a a way for companies to do well out of these kinds of markets, and that is to be the best provider of them and and take market share and i i uh, i i actually learned a lot um it all sounds very, sounds very basic but i i'd never used ao world until about a year ago and um i was just looking at getting a new washing machine for our house 
And so you go to places like Curry's, uh, you look at places like Curry's, uh, John Lewis, uh, and then I looked at AO World. And it just, it struck me that the, the um, things like the delivery experience, the slots, um, are key, key in the customer experience. You know, obviously price is important. Um, but they're all pretty much similar, similar, same price. So it's things like availability, um, delivery slot, delivery experience. Um, and I was incredibly impressed. Um, you know, they, I think I ordered a machine at four o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon and it was there the next day where if I went on the John Lewis website, um, it would have been eight, nine days. And you see, you see what you know. You dig in. You start digging into the company, and you start looking at, at what they're doing, the, the investment in the brand, the investment in the capacity, and you think, okay, this this company, um, it's not encumbered with the high overheads of of um, of physical bricks and mortar store. It has potentially an opportunity to uh, to take some market share here. Um, not to the extent that, that that it's happened. I think COVID is is just a very fortunate windfall for, for, for AO World in that its competitors had to close their stores. But, you know, hats off to them. They they really capitalized on this. And I think what's what's really, really good is that they have managed to hold on to the market share that they've taken. And uh, when when the physical shops, the bricks and mortar shops, as your Comets and your John Lewis have, have have reopened again, and the other thing that it's done, and this is where you know this is one of the reasons I I said you know last year that I could see a path to a higher share price, if it got out of Europe, because Europe was losing a lot of money for it, and it got out of Holland and it stayed in Germany. And Germany is Germany has turned around massively, uh, and, and it's seen seen a lot of of sales growth, and that looks like it's going to get to to a break even or, and actually into profit probably in the next twelve months. And what's what's interesting now, in, 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 and you can see this in the numbers, is that AO World has has, has actually reached a point in the road now it's onto a you know it's come off a b road perhaps and it's now onto a dual carriageway in terms of its its direction and, and speed of and speed of travel in that one of the great advantages that you have to have as a retail retailer is scale this is relationships and, with and, suppliers which yeah exactly hmm. and and there's obviously a what the, with this volume, suppliers love companies that can provide them with volume growth. It's one of the reasons why, you know, the discount retailers do so well, because they're a source of volume growth for suppliers. That allows them to get better pricing. They pass that on to their customers. They get more volume, and then it, you know, the circle starts again. It becomes a virtuous circle that can continue for some time. And this is what's happening with AO World. It's, it's renegotiated um with its suppliers and it's got much better 
payment terms. And you can see this in the latest results, the huge inflow of cash. Now it's a one-off, it'll be a one-off. It can maybe grow, grow a little bit in future years, but not to the same magnitude of cash flow. And it's got a huge amount of cash flow coming in. And the the scale of this business now is is has put it on a fantastic, it's put it on the front foot. Um, you know, it's gone from making 60,000 deliveries per week in March to making 150,000 deliveries a week now. And the growth rate in sales at the start of the second half of the year, so 1st of October, is better than it was in the first half of the uh, of 2020. So there's real momentum in this business now. And you've got, so what you've got is you've got volume scale leading you to better pricing, but you also then get what's, you know, the, the operating leverage. So you scale the volume over the, over the fixed costs and you gear or lever the profit. And I, and I, and this is, this is, this is the kind of business that, you know, quite clearly this, you can see it in the share price. You get something like this and um, you get a lot of momentum in profitability and you get like a profit upgrade cycle from City Analyst, which drives the share price higher. Now, admittedly, with AO World, there's there's probably a lot of good news factored in. But, you know, it's not just selling to consumers, it's selling to house building companies. Um, which looks like a very good market and un until at least the end of March next year um, when stamp duty and help to buy um, get addressed. And also it's doing a trial with Tesco. So there's lots and lots of good things going on here. A lot of investment in the brand. I'm not saying this is a fabulous, fabulous share mm. that you would want to buy and hold forever. But I think it's a great example of, of a company that's you know that's done ex it's had a bit of luck um but it's but it's also made its own luck with the investment that it's put in and it's getting its just just rewards and you know hats off to it so that's um it's moved from a company that that's um invested and, and is growing very well organically and um, to a company that uh that's grown largely by acquisition um it's fair to say um in our own industry publishing future um, which is uh, just in the last week, um, it's bought uh, uh, or going through the process of buying GoCo, um, an owner of Go Compare comparison site. Um, slightly different, um, and uh, yeah, acquisition growth not normally considered to be, uh, you know, as as you know, as, as desirable for investors as organic growth. Um, and it, it's it's an industry as well, obviously that that we both work in. Um, I I'm I always sort of worry a bit about sort of anything where digital advertising is is a is is a big part of the proposition uh, because uh, you know the economics of it aren't great. There's a huge amount of supply there, um, uh, but. Um, and particularly with this acquisition now with, um, with, with, with GoCo, I mean, price comparison sites is a pretty mature market with some pretty strong players there. Um, so I just want to see what you thought about how you could see this potential, this acquisition going ahead, um, whether you think they're getting, they're, they're paying a fair price for it. Um, we discussed a bit last, last week with, with acquisitions as well. Um, and, uh, and, and what you think about the, the general, um, whether the, 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 but on the face of it, very attractive numbers are, are a good sign um, for good good times to continue. 
Yeah, this 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 is a this is a company that has, um, shall we say, attracted uh, the attention of skeptics and is treated with a, a fair degree of suspicion um, by some, pr primarily because history tells us that companies that go on spending sprees and uh, and and largely try and grow by acquisition. Um, have a tendency to come unstuck, and I think I don't. I don't think that's an unreasonable concern. Having said that, I, I I've had a look at this business over the last week, um, and I, you know, I think it's doing a a lot of good things. Um, we'll come back to the acquisitions in a second, but you know, it, it set its stall out. To, to be a consolidator of publishing uh, and media content, you know, and is setting the business up um, for a digital world, which it, which it has to. And it's got some good assets. You know, it's, it's got um, a media business, which is largely based around websites with very good, good positions in areas of interest that people are you know flocking to such as technology gaming computer game we know how big computer game we talk about it almost every week on this podcast um sport you know they got w women's women's interests women's um magazines and <clears throat> it is it is using that not just to monetize it through through digital advertising um, but also through things like events, which obviously won't have been good this year, but and things like e-commerce. You know, it's been setting up, um, you know, its websites and its systems so that it can take commission off uh, what people sell through their through their websites, and it's it's going very well for it. And then then the other side of it is is a sort of magazines business, where it has um, bought up. A lot of you know well-known titles, um, magazine titles in in the UK, mainly in the UK. About three quarters of the magazines business is in is in the UK. Things like um, you know Horse and Hound, Country Life, Woman's Own, TV Times, these kind of things. What Hi-Fi? Um, a lot of stuff that that is has been around a long time, and actually some of it's very profitable. The problem is a lot of it a lot of it isn't profitable and it's a print advertising is you know not particularly nice market to be in and the, the demographics of some of those titles as well um possibly uh you know are they going to have a huge readership in in 10 15 years time and uh and yeah. also as you say it's uk focused again which is 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 something that you know is a theme that 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 people like yourself and terry smith uh are moving away from i think to get to give you know i think future is doing something to address that you know we're getting we're getting close close to half the revenues of this business now being in the us i think it's about 43 percent of the of the revenues now are, are us um, and the us media business is is going well the, the magazines business has been horrible um in the last in the last 12 months I think the other thing that, that, that I think that is a plus point for this company is its investment in IT. It has, you know, it's, it's invested a lot in its own proprietary IT. 
um, to scale up um, digital uh, publications, launch new websites, and it's tied in things like you know e e-commerce and digital advertising technology to to really try and optimize that. And I think it deserves deserves a lot of credit for that. I think you know where where the where the issue comes with this company is, you know, and I think and I think it des I think it deserves credit for what it's done. I think I think the strategy and the investment in the business, not just the IT, but also it's investing in writers, you know, something like you and I do. And you know, without hopefully without good writers, you haven't got you haven't got a business. But it and and, and that is that is definitely true. You know, you have to create content that people want to listen to or, and to read or to watch. And and you have to invest in that and futures doing that. And, and again, that's another tick in, tick in the box. I think where, where, where we get to a more serious issue, and this is the one that people are rightly concerned about, is, is, this, is this a business that's too eager to get its wallet out? And, and and spend money. So the problem the problem with acquisitions, highly acquisitive companies, is that it can mask. It can be you know you get businesses, you buy you buy them, you integrate them with your existing business. You take out a lot of cost and grow your profits, but at the same time you can have an underlying business that's either going nowhere or going backwards. And this is something that, you know, I highlighted quite a few years ago with Carillion. And, you know, you had Carillion that was kept making bigger and bigger acquisitions because its, it's business was going nowhere and it needed bigger and bigger cost savings from acquisitions and therefore bigger acquisitions to keep its profits growing. And when it, when it is interesting that when it tried to buy Balfour Beatty, and it got knocked back. So it didn't take long before Carillion started to unravel. Now, I think one of the things you need to look for when you're looking at acquisitions is acquisitions work well when you when you take when you bolt them on, you integrate them into a business that is healthy and doing well. So this is why companies like Halma, uh, Diploma. Uh, companies like Bunzel have made such a success with with acquisitions, and there is a bit of a, there is some organic growth in um, in future. The actual underlying organic growth for the business as a whole last year was six percent revenue, um, and the media revenue organic growth was you know in in the twenties of percent. That that's good. Um, the, the suspicion will be is that. It's too reliant. The the earnings momentum on this business is too reliant on on eking cost savings out, rather than top line organic growth, and and operating leverage. And this is a business that's got a lot of operating operating leverage. And at the moment, it looks all right. You know, the business the business is producing some some good numbers. Which sort of leads you on to the GoCo acquisition, and this is where I think a lot of people are starting to scratch their heads, because 
this is by far the biggest biggest acquisition that that they are they are taking on and as you mentioned you know price comparison business it's a fairly mature market um they're all having to work quite hard under the likes of money supermarket trying to work quite hard to to get the growth um goco is having quite a bit of success at the moment with um a product called autosave which gets people to which switches people's car insurance automatically to save them to save them money and it's brought on a lot of customers and i think you know goco is quite highly regarded as well for its it platforms and some of its customer initiatives like vouchers and thing and things like that uh but but uh, future is paying a lot of money for this you know if you take on the debt as well um at the time of the deal i think the price has gone down now because it's paying mainly in shares and future share price has gone down but it was paying about 650 660 million um that include that was 594 million of cash and shares so you've got about 140 of cash 450 of of equity and then about another 60 70 million of debt and if you look at the profitability goco is going to make about 35 million of profit in 2021 according to analyst forecasts future reckons it can get about 10 million of savings out of that so that gets you to 45 million so 45 million on 660 of investment is about 6.7 percent return on investment now as far as acquisitions go that's all right you know that's that's better than what we've seen with you know like croda we were discussing last week and so you know it will cover what in financial jargon terms um, is the cost of capital, probably after two or three years. It will enhance earnings per share, but it will dilute, you know, dilute the return on investment. You know, futures return on operating assets is about seven, you know, 65, 70%, which is very good. Um, and it's now going to make 7% on GOCO. Um, and the thing is, as well, it's but it's paying for it in shares, and it's giving away nineteen percent of its business to GoCo shareholders to have a go at this. And I think this is what caused the share price to sell off quite a lot uh, on Wednesday, I think it was. And you know, I've I've seen companies like this before. People who have been around. This this reminds me very much of. A company that I used to cover called Stagecoach, which is a, a, a bus and rail company. And during the late nineties and early, early two thousand, the company made a lot of acquisitions, grew its profits, attracted a fan base in the city, and used its used its increasing share values, share prices to keep buying companies by by raising equity and of course the brokers loved it in fact my first my first ever job as a as a broker as a sell side analyst was being being part of a consortium to raise money for stagecoach to buy coach usa 
in in late 1999 and that that acquisition was an absolute disaster but it, but it was the trend the trend is that every deal became bigger and it's in, it's interesting that the, this is what's happening with future you know so what's it going to do after it buys goco you know so it's, this is a 600 million sort of deal now so what does it so when it's rung the cost savings out and it's plodding along what's its next move you know and how how big is it going to be and it's interesting that it's got Goldman Sachs involved as a as joint broker now, and um, you know, investment bankers, corporate bankers will you know be rubbing their hands with a company like this because the fees that they can make from from advising on acquisitions and issuing shares to pay for them are substantial and very lucrative, and it's down down to to future now is the question is can can you keep keep doing this and i and, uh, and this this go goco deal doesn't look as good a deal as some as, as as some of the other deals it's done which are smaller and have rolled rolled up more cost savings proportional to the to the to the uh, amount of money paid so the cost savings have delivered a really big bang for the buck in terms of percentage return, whereas this one doesn't look like it's going to do that. And that that is just, I think, I think the main worry. I, I think that I can't really, I can't really criticize the business in terms of what it's doing. You know, these these are not financial engineers. Yeah. Some people might think that, you know, maybe they are, but you know, I don't, I don't see it that way. I, I see that this is a company that's genuinely trying to, to put in, put in a, a business, the ingredients in a business to, to help it thrive in a challenging industry. It, and it, I think what it's up against is the natural and, and reason suspicion that part of that strategy is a bit too aggressive on the side of acquisitions. Do you think they just felt that they needed a, a digitally based sort of cash cow business you know, to help? You know, given it is a, a, a publishing is an industry that's it's still in flux. I mean, we, we've been talking about oh, it's been in 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 a, 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 adapting for years, but but this does give it a sort of a, another solid digital business um, while it you know looks to, to manage that that move with some of these other titles. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know, take away the amount of money that you pay you're paying for something like GoCo. There's a lot to like about digital platforms. You know, if this is one of the things that the UK has actually got quite a lot of. You know, you've got the likes of Hargreaves, Lansdowne, AJ Bell, Auto Trader, Money Supermarket, GoCo. They are essentially all digital platforms where you scale a business on an IT system and obviously, you know, an administrative system. And once you get scale, you, you start making really serious profits. You know, these are nice businesses to own. So the strategic rationale for having a business, owning a business like this, I, to I totally get it. Um, I just, I just wonder whether putting them together, and I think the regulators won't have any any complaints against this. 
Um, I think putting these together, yeah, I think I think it'll do. I think it'll do okay. Um, but I just think, is it a business that has a a natural strong rate of 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 natural organic growth going forward? I don't I don't think so. You know, you, you look at the other the other platforms. Money supermarket is struggling to grow. Um, Admiral is umming and ahhing about Confuse.com and what to do with it. And, um, you know, it, it is hard. You know, digital advertising is hard. You just have to look at the media companies, you know, how, how they're trying to to grow that business. Price comparison, you know, is is a nice business if you can get it to grow. And I think my my concern with, with GoCo is that it'll eventually run out of growth. But I think I haven't, I haven't, you know, I haven't yet done a, a deep dive into the numbers um, of this company to address the other concern, which is, you know, are the figures, are the figures believable? Certainly, if you look at basic, basic quick checks that you can do, and the best, the best thing that you can do as an investor to, to check on profit profit quality is just look at look at the conversion into cash and and also look at the source of of the cash and goco uh, sorry future is turning its profits into cash and its cash flow is largely coming from its profits it's not getting you know big deals from suppliers and and supplier financing and things like that which is a not a permanent source of value the, the the thing to look at when, when you dig it into this is to look at the acquisitions, look at some of the adjustments that are going on, look at some of the look at how they get the cost savings and and then look at how how that fits into the jigsaw. But the key the key on this is is are they buying businesses that are capable of significant growth? And that's where I think the jury is the jury is out. That's um, unfortunately the the jury is out on much of the the UK stock market and then the the UK economy. Um, uh, Phil, thanks again for your insights this week. Um, been been great chatting to you. Um, Alpha subscribers can can read Phil's full roundup, um, which will be be published later today. Um, thanks a lot, Phil. Um, and uh, uh, look forward to speaking to you again next week, when maybe maybe we'll have um, have finally have some news on the Brexit deal, which is uh, which is dragging on and on. Anyway, thanks a lot, um, and have a good weekend, everyone. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.